and welcome to Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find this weekly property show live every Sunday on propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV in YouTube or Facebook. Whenever or wherever you're enjoying the show, please get involved by adding your comments. We'll always get back to you. And we have an email address, of course, where you can write to us if you'd like to. Hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast on our website. It's also available from wherever you get your podcasts from every Monday morning at 10am. So what's been going on in the world of property? Well, that's the question that just about everyone in property has been asking because we're now on our third Prime Minister, Joe, in two years of this show. So everyone's thinking, what's the future of property going to look like under yet another Prime Minister? Well, the good thing is there is stability in our show. Um, so we've been here for two years um, and we've seen three prime ministers in probably six weeks, I think is the last tally, six weeks or, or three months or something Certainly ridiculous something like, like that. that. Yeah, um, so I think uh, the longevity is here and property matters, both in myself and of course with you, Paul, um, looking well, sharp um, and always ready for that wit and information that we need to actually provide to our listeners and to, of course, our viewers, wherever they are. Um, yeah, uh, an amazing week, uh, an um, amazing week for a lot of things, to be honest with you. Um, I suppose from a political point of view, uh, we welcome Rishi Sunak, um, a fellow Indian gentleman, um, of course, uh, a first in, in many situations. So, uh, you know, good luck to him and welcome to him. Uh, and. Uh, of course, the, the, the thing that matters to us most, of course, is um, in, in property matters is the subject property. And our beloved friend um, and foe, I should say, perhaps, Mr. Michael Gove has been reinstated in um, the uh, levelling up section. I'm not quite sure where he's going to level up what but at the moment, but uh, he's definitely got the trowel and the cement mixed and ready and just wondering what he's going to level up and what brick he's going to actually you know take out of the wall as they say was that song a brick in the wall or something like that yeah, I think just we another give brick that, in the wall yeah. yeah we could donate that to michael gove because he's always going to be sticking another brick in the wall somewhere or some problem somewhere for us but anyway uh, you know we're here to help uh, direct and gear that the best we can so, uh, yeah, lots happening. Uh, never a dull moment in property. Absolutely. And, of course, the first thing, or one of the first things that Richie did was to put Michael Gove, as you say, back in as the housing minister and uh, uh, responsible for levelling up. Um, and one uh, house-building CEO uh, is reported to have uh, said a word beginning with F and having four letters when he heard the news. So that's quite an interesting response. But you can understand why, because in March, Gove angered the builders industry or the build house builders industry by calling them a cartel. Meanwhile, during the cladding negotiations, he saw unlimited liabilities for developers, which they argued was unfair because it would make them liable for problems that arise in the future. Gove's draft contracts ended up being watered down by his two successors, Greg Clark and Simon Clark, over the space of four months in a bid to make approval by developers easier and avoid any legal challenges from them. House builders argued that Gove's contracts would have given so much protection to homeowners that they would be considered unsignable by any public company due to their potential liabilities. 
Other housing plans could be reinstated, such as, for example, social housing reform, private renting reform, and a potential review of the mortgage market. And of course, he's promising this levelling up philosophy, which is moving money away from focused areas like London and the South East and putting it into other parts of the country. How much of Liz's investment zones will remain has to be uh, seen over time. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt committing to carrying out the policy in a potentially limited form. So it's interesting because it's business as usual, Joe, really. Uh, we've got the levelling up secretary back. Uh, uh, he's known as a bruiser. The house builders don't like him. Where do you think we're going politically with housing? Well, um, yeah, a lot to sort of uh, to, to reply to there. First and foremost, Paul, um, I think um, uh, it's good to see the levelling up aspect of it back. Um, I, I totally endorse that. And I think uh, that gives opportunities for people across the country as opposed to it being focused in sort of the south or one area. Um, I've always felt that that was a, a good move. It's certainly given a lot of people the opportunity to uh, step onto the first round of the property ladder, albeit maybe further than, further than where they want to be. But if it means that there's investment going into those towns um, and the way work has gone, it means that uh, people have the flexibility to move um, and also perhaps work from those those locations. So I think that's that's um, a good thing, and I'm I'm glad that everybody's continued to be on the same page. Um, any of uh, Miss uh, Trust Me No More's policies are probably really going to be in um, the same bin that everything else has gone into. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how long that will last, but. Uh, the, the quickest thing we can do is move and turn the page of that chapter and, uh, and and leave that behind because what that did in the last 44 days of her reign is um, pretty abysmal and actually has been the foundation stone of where we are today unfortunately um, and um, so that's a, that's a, an important thing to to, to take on board um, in terms of um, you know the the idea of uh, uh, where where people are going to be and what 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 the investment's going to be and what the government's going to do. I think those parts are are going to be right. Uh, my only concerns are with with Gove and his kind of staunch views of how he sees things happening, especially with developers and builders. I think the cladding issue is definitely one that. I don't think builders were always um, responsible for. I've said this before. I think the biggest gainers and people that should have really been punished on that are the insurance companies that insured uh, all of those buildings. They take a lot of money from everybody to insure those things, and they are the ones that I think should be paying for them. Um, and Go probably needs to really take that on board and stop punishing the people that are building them. The builders don't need to be punished in my opinion, because if we continue to punish them, then we're never going to meet the targets that they all keep setting themselves, although they've taken them away by saying we're not going to do 300 homes every year or whatever. But whatever number of homes they're going to build will only be slowed down even more because the builders will have so much red tape to get over and almost tripping over themselves to try and understand the legality of the contract that go put together that they would actually probably uh, refrain from building as much and as quickly as we'd like them to do. So I think he just constantly needs to. Um, I always sense that um, Gove has this sort of, you know, hate for for the building industry. Yet at the same time, he's desperate for them to turn up and and build. 
I, I think that when you look at some of the results um, that the, the um, fuel companies, the petrol companies and so forth had, I really think they need to go knock on their doors and get some money from them and stop actually penalising the thing that the British public love the most, and that is property, and they want to buy their own homes and they want the opportunities. Those are things that, you know, they do need looking at. I'm not saying they don't, but they don't looking looking as severe as they're trying to make them out at the moment. Yeah. Uh, John McDonald is back. Remember him? He was oh, yeah. the uh, shadow chancellor, I believe, under uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and this really sums up, I think, how a lot of politicians see landlords at the moment. It'd be interesting to get your views on this, but... Um, He's come into the fray this week with a scathing attack on landlords that use a limited company structure, labelling it as a legitimate tax avoidance scheme. Donald is known as the Shadow Chancellor, urged MPs to look at the issue on the second reading of the government's stamp duty land tax reduction bill, which of course was the, um, the reduction in um, stamp duty that Liz put in place when she came to power. That's only still only being just, well, just gone through Parliament this week and it was approved. Um, so they were still debating that and this is why this came up. He said, I find it extraordinary that incorporated landlords can still offset 100% of their mortgage interest against profits. Between 1990 and 2020, we saw 41,700 landlords incorporate themselves in order to benefit from what exactly is a tax avoidance scheme. Later, he added, the, will, will the minister look at the issue of the 100% offset that incorporated landlords now have against profits? Richard Fuller, the Tory MP, responded by saying that he would look at it and, um, and, and didn't commit any further than that. So Macdonald also spoke out against the quality of private renting stock, saying we're seeing a boom in private landlords in my constituency where buy-to-let property experiences one of high rents, poor maintenance and harassment by landlords, which are often completely regulated. And of course, the minimum tier was raised from 125 to 250 and then for first time buys 300 to 425, as we've talked about many a time. So it's it's interesting that that's their view. And, it, and of course, it, it, it sounds like a vote winner. If you're a politician, you know, I've got lots of tenants on high rents, poor maintenance, harassed by their landlords, and they're all unregulated. It's an easy vote winner, isn't it? Yes and no. I mean, it's a bit of a cheap shot as far as I'm concerned um, when, they, when they look at that. Um, and John McDonald um, is basically constantly sort of trying to penalise um, the landlords and, and the buy-to-let people. What these people don't really get is that, you know, they can't build. doesn't matter whether it's red, blue or white. You know, um, the blue can't build as many as they'd like. The red have never been able to do anything as that they wanted to do. In other words, the Labour and the Conservatives. Um, they can't meet their housing targets. The people that help can help them meet their housing targets are the private landlords who, who decide that they would go and buy properties to let out and rent out to the people that actually can't get homes. And yet they spend most of their life trying to penalise the, the people that are actually there to help them. Um, and I just think that it's a vicious circle and that's why we'll never go forward. It's almost like, you know, somebody trying to chase their own tail. And, and that's where John McDonald is wrong in saying, oh, well, here we are, you know, the buy to let market. They're, they're uh, putting their properties into limited companies and therefore there is a tax loop or a tax hole. Well, they've been forced to go into limited companies. Nobody really wanted to do that. 
you know, a lot of people were buying them in their own own names because that's how the funding was done for. So buyers and lenders were only lending to persons or individuals who had a portfolio or had some sort of existence in, um, or, or actually, this is how it originally started, there had to be a home owner before they become a buy-to-let uh, person. Um, and because of all these taxations, lenders have had to change their policy to create it into a limited company. And now that the limited company is there, they're never happy. I mean, they're now not happy because they're not paying the appropriate tax. So where, where on earth do you, do you make this work? And of course, the next thing will be that, you know, maybe John McDonald actually has got a, a brilliant idea that he could turn around and say, well, actually, this is how you can all make money and provide housing and have all those people that we can't house as a government um, somewhere to live in. It's, it's a no-win no situation. And um, I just think these are pencil pushers that got nothing else better to do than to try and keep mucking up the same area and, and targeting the one most successful section of the of the country which is property it's interesting that the bill about the stamp duty didn't get a great deal of uh, positive response i mean the the vote was 288 yeses and uh, 152 no's. Uh, Tim Farron from the Liberal Democrats uh, said there was quite a lot of hostility. Uh, McDonald said that it would only benefit landlords and banks that lend to them rather than those getting on the ladder. Uh, Tim Farron said it was a blunderbuss waste of public money. Majority of beneficiaries will be wealthy people who do not need a stamp duty cut. What it will do, as we've said in previous debates, is fuel a second home boom that is already causing a huge amount of damage to communities like mine. Um, Labour's James Marry said this is not the time to spend 1.7 billion a year on a tax cut. Um, another Labour MP said it is just another government handout for wealthy landlords and second home owners. Some of that does ring true. But this continuous thing about wealthy owners, that it, it trickles downwards. You know, at the end of the day, if somebody is wealthy because they've worked hard to achieve the goals that they are, they are continuing to invest that money back into more properties, more assets that these people are going to need the use of. I think it's really a little bit of a jealousy factor that somebody gets there and then all of a sudden everybody else is jealous about the fact that they got there. I think people should continue consider praising those people that have actually got there. Getting there sometimes is easier, staying there is the hardest part. And the reason why they're not staying there is such loops and such taxations actually pushes them back out. And it's a continuous, vicious circle that goes on and on and on where, you know, people are trying to get ahead. People who want to rent, who can't afford to buy, are can't, are, you know, now paying silly money on rent. I mean, rent prices have gone absolutely through the roof. And I blame that primarily not because people don't want to do buy to let, but because the government has created so many loopholes and taxations, it pushes the people out um, that would normally invest. So I'd be interested to see where, you know, John McDonald and his little cronies can come up with a, a, an idea where people will actually genuinely help achieve that. I almost feel that all of this losing wicked is actually a good thing for the government because it gives them a job to do, otherwise they wouldn't have anything to do. So if we all built the number of houses that we actually did and everybody had a home to live in, um, God knows what we're going to talk about, Paul, let alone them. I mean, you and I are going to be out of a job as well. Um, and um, I think that, <laughs> that's what it is. But I don't mind. I mean, I, I, it's not, not, a, not a, 
uh, be on an end or not to do it. I, I love what we do here, and I think it's important to talk frankly and openly about these things. But I think governments have a hidden agenda. Their agendas are that, you know, oh, well, if I don't do this, I'm probably not going to be in my job for, for too long. So I've got to go and upset somebody to make sure that I'll stay in the, on the front page of the headlines. And, and that's, that's how I see it, really. Well, Labour's Tulip Sadiq gave a uh, interesting insight into what Labour would do with housing when they get to power, if they get to power. Um, and that would be to give first-time buyers, in her words, first dibs on newly built homes to and also physically prevent buy-to-let landlords and second home owners outbidding them. And they would also do something about tax, further taxing foreign buyers. Of course, at the moment, there's a 2% stamp duty surcharge on foreign property purchases. So that's an indication as what Labour will do. They'll give the priority to first-time buyers over those looking to buy-to-let or second homes uh, and stopping them outbidding. Um, and I'm surprised that's not happened before. But I guess but it, the, has, the but it has. But it has happened, Paul. When they bought the 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 the, the right to buy schemes and and also the opportunity to give first time buyers a deposit, a helping hand, uh, help to buy schemes that were put together. These were all there, designed not for investors. They were invite in, invest designed for first time buyers. Um, the fact that unfortunately the two run away with each other, i.e. the value of homes run away with the, you know, in price increase and maybe the income doesn't give them the amount of borrowing that they want. That, so in steps an investor, and an investor who comes in and who's got maybe an equity in, a, in another property, you can take out the deposit, put it into an ex-property and buy it. But what does that do? At least it provides a home back on the marketplace for someone who wants to rent. Um, Whereas, you know, you do give that. So it's always, I mean, look, the system is such that without the first time buyer stepping on the first run of any of the ladders in the property game, the property is not going to go forward. So there is always been incentives for first time buyers. Back in the days, 100% mortgages, in fact, 120% mortgages were created for first time buyers. Um, then there were you know, schemes created for first-time buyers. Then the developers were giving discounts to first-time buyers. So I don't think that first-time buyers have actually been um, look, not looked after. They've been very much looked after. But the, the fact that they couldn't make it there, the developer then has a choice. He's got to sell those things that he's built. You know, the first-time buyers are not in a position to, to buy because of governmental policies, I have to say, uh, or lending. Uh, criteria is changing, all of those things. They're not you and I making those decisions. They're the government making those decisions, financial institutions, banks, and so forth making those decisions, which means that those poor first-time buyers are what, what does that leave? The developer has to sell those properties, otherwise he's going to get repossessed and it, we're never going to go anywhere. So what does he do? He sells to the investor because he's got to sell them. So then the investor is the bad guy because he's the one that continues to buy. But I think if anybody wants to do anything, they should bring back some of the 100% mortgages for first-time buyers. They could probably bring back some self-certification self -certification mortgages for first-time buyers, which may not be available for second homeowners and, and other people. And that may assist them in getting on the first run of the ladder, rather than all this gobbledygook that they try and cook up to try and make it more complex uh, by the time you've unpicked exactly everything that they've done, 
you almost see feel that you might as well not buy it in the first place. So I think I think these governments got to sort of start taking. I mean, if they want these first-time buyers to have the opportunity, then they've got to give them the opportunity, but not sort of give it the give it with one hand and take it away with the other. Not say, oh yeah, you can have this, but by the way, you know, you can't have this much borrowing and you can't have this. There's so many schemes that are out there. These these help to buy schemes were designed on twofold a developer putting some share and the government putting some share into into the into the deal it obviously worked and works but guess what it's all run out now it was for a set time so why don't they bring that back in it was successful every developer that was looking to do it was doing it first time buyers were doing it so i think you know i'm not i'm not totally with john mcdonald and, and his little merry men that where he thinks he can go out there and do do this um come up with something plausible and not something that is just going to go around in circle. That's that's my message to him. Well, that leads us quite nicely to our second story: um, build to rent versus buy to let. So you know, it's no surprise that buy to let has been the jewel in the crown of UK investments for many years, and it's easy to see why. House prices are perhaps the easiest and clearest indicator of that. In 1992, the average UK house price just edged above 55,000. Come on, 10 years, and by 2002, it had risen to 119,500. 10 years after that, 171. Today, the figure is £296,000 for the average price. Despite a global financial crisis, despite Brexit and a pandemic, these figures have just not been uh, deterred in any way. And a number of general elections just, just recently, well, not, not general elections, but changes of leader, um, the property price has continued to rise, unfazed by anything, of course, that's been put in front of it. And for generations, we've been taught to develop buy-to-let portfolios. So in other words, you get your second property, your third property, your fourth property, you renovate them, and you maintain them and rent them out. And of course, at the same time, as we all know, you get the, the asset appreciating at the same time as a, a weekly or monthly rent. So um, buy-to-let properties were also tax efficient, of course, as an investment vehicle, as we, we know, we've just been discussing. Over the past six years, there have been some well-documented changes which have, which have changed people's perceptions of buy-to-let. April 2016, an additional 3% of stamp duty surcharge, of course, for second homes. 2017, April again, a tapered reduction in mortgage interest rate relief or tax relief introduced, um, leading to its removal in 2021. 2018, October, new regulations brought in uh, for HMOs, including the minimum size of rooms. April 29, the government tables a motion to abolish Section 21, of course, which we've talked about many times. And then looking ahead, 2022 to 23, a bill introduced in the parliamentary session to abolish no-fault evictions altogether uh, in the private rented sector. So these changes, of course, making landlords, or it's suggested that landlords are thinking, Do you know what, I just can't make any money from this. And if you're adding in, as we've talked about, Joe, the fact that uh, mortgage rates are rising and therefore the, the margins being uh, squeezed, or the landlords being squeezed from both sides in all of this. The suggestion being here, and this is uh, from a company called Sojin, a real estate investment platform. They've done some research into whether actually you'd be better off um, going to a buy-to-rent prospect as opposed to a buy-to-let. Yes. Um, so first, first, first of all, I mean, we have said, and I have certainly said for the last two years that we've been on air, that there is no better um, investment or, or, or security that you're going to have than buying your own home. Um, it's clear. And those figures that I've shown from 
1992 onwards, uh, the last 15 years, have just you know vindicated all of what I've been saying time and time again that the best form of investment that you can ever make is your home, um, and of course maybe your second home and property. Um, and it's interesting to see that nothing's phased that. Um, the only time it was really properly phased, I suppose, was 2007 financial crash. Um, and that then took a little bit of time getting themselves sorted. But what it didn't do is actually, you know, ruin the property market and turn it down. It just meant that nobody was shifting. They just all sat on their hands and went, well, we'll wait and we'll wait. And for 70 years, that's what they did. They waited. So if you look at the statistics then, you will find that hardly anything actually tumbled down. Of course, unless something was absolutely necessary that had to be sold, everybody else just stayed put. Um, so I don't think there's any argument in how and what property does for people. Um, it does so many things, Paul, uh, not just for, for people, but for many industries that are linked with property. And that's something that people forget, that it is, it is a, such a big knock-on effect that you can't imagine, even through the pandemic, when you look back through the pandemic, the only industry that did really, really well was the building and the property industry. Why is that? Because it has so many knock-on effects. You know, when you buy a house or you're buying a home, you're buying all sorts of other things that go into it, carpets, curtains, you, know, you name it. And all of those people start to, it's a roll on for that industry. So it's a massive industry, not just about, you know, agents and, and property selling. It, there's just so much more that is added to extensions building. I mean, just the, the list goes on uh, as to what would be the case. So I think it's clear that it's a good investment and that's something that obviously this, this organization, this company that's done the research has, you know, just turned around and said, look at it. This is, it's, it's invincible almost throughout all the rubbish that's gone on. We're still here to do that. The buy to let market um, has done extremely well. Um, and it is only of recent times uh, people have looked at why they want to um, come out of those. And the reason why they want to come out of those is, um, is that um, um, you've got um, all these taxations that starts to cause you problems. Um, and so people start to look at it and think, well, actually, you know what, because of the number of taxes and all these things, maybe it's time for me to go. But there are several other things that people forget that they do. Short leases uh, are another reason why people do come out of that buy-to-let market because they may have had a property for the last 20, 25 years. That lease is now maybe 60 years. The cost of redoing it may be 30, 40, 50,000 pounds. It just means that you know all that money that somebody has been making, they've now got to pay a landlord to increase. And their time may be up. In time, in, when I say time is up, not because you know, financially, their, time, their age time is up. They might be at an age where they think, now, you know what, it's best for me to get out of this one and go and buy something new. And a new younger person can do that and they will have the benefit over, if they increase the lease, they will also have the benefit over the next 25, 30, 40 years. Um, so there's a re-evaluation that goes on in people's minds about what they put to do and how they put to do it. So those are things that they need to, to consider in the buy-to-let market. So it's not all about the taxation. There are many other underlying issues that sometimes people change. But the taxation doesn't help uh, because it kind of puts people off and thinks, well, I don't want to do that. And that then obviously makes the market think about other ways. You know, and that is, isn't that the case, really, if you think about it, every time somebody brings in 
a new rule, a new law, a new way of doing something, someone else has to find how we've got to get around it. And and so the the new sort of you know buy to let market is now going to become buy to rent market. Um, and so institutions or bigger bodies and big, bigger people are going to say, well, actually, we can actually build these properties because we can't sell to first time buyers. Their mortgage ability isn't there. What we'll do is we'll buy a, build a whole block and we'll build it so that basically we can provide all the rental people 50, 60, 100 properties to rent as they as they stand. Um, so that's that's what you've got to take on take on board. Um, in, in across the across the the market with the buy to let to, and the build to to rent market and of course uh, from the first time buyers. Yeah, Shojin commissioned an independent survey of 690 retail investors in the UK, and they found out that 61% said that BTL had lost its shine in recent years due to the tax and regulation forms. Um, they also said that. Um, uh, that half of retail investors, 59%, consider real estate to be a strong asset class, 50% uh, citing the current supply and demand imbalance as a strong factor behind its appeal. Two-fifths of investors said they would be inclined to invest in real estate without the complications uh, of property ownership. And that's among those aged 18 to 34. Uh, the figures rose to 67%. So buy to rent, they're suggesting, gives you an opportunity to do that because you invest in the project and to a certain extent, you've not got to worry about the leaky taps and making sure there's fences and all kinds of things. Yes, I mean, the buys rep market is, is more of a corporate market, isn't it? Um, so that individuals, but individuals are equally now um, gearing them up. So turn the pages back some num number of years. Someone has had a buy to let portfolio and that buy to let portfolio is now got enough um, assets in there for them to consider now maybe not just doing individual buy to lets but maybe buying a block and turning that into a buy to rent and so they've already got an infrastructure created through buy to let it is now a case of creating a buy to rent infrastructure as an add-on to that existing business and it might be that they might find that actually managing all those things under one place is much easier um, and therefore, the idea of individuals managing leaky taps is out and the investors can actually invest. So the new investors don't have to go out there and buy to rent on their own, um, uh, on their own sort of stuff. They will turn around and say, I will just invest, like tap in or, or plug into this block that has been built for 100 properties that are going to be rented and I can take a share of that. Um, and, and sort of, you know, get some income out of that and subsequently don't have the costs and overall costs at the beginning of the setup and so forth. So it's just another way, isn't it? They're, they're, they're going to do it, but it's not going to be for everybody yet. But buy to let isn't going to go away. They can do all they want to do to it. I can't imagine that the small guy is going to go away from that. The other people that won't go away from that are pensioners. And I've said this time and time again, there is nothing for people to consider how they can maybe top up their pension, top up their income, whatever that might be, or have a secure level of income based on whatever it might be that is. So when you're at the age of 60, 55, 60s, you know, in the 65 years, you don't particularly want to go out and deal with leaky taps. 
So that might be a good thing for buy to rent. They might be able to, to tap into that market and say, well, actually, I'm going to get X, Y, Z return. Um, but if they don't have the sufficient to go into that, they're going to continue to buy that one flat, that one property or, or whatever that's going to be so that they can actually continue to draw, even if it's only netting them another 500 pounds, 600 pounds a month. You know, you have two or three of those. It's a couple of thousand pounds a month. That's 24, 25. That's enough for people to say, okay, well, I can, I can go and have a, a nice life out there. I've got a bit of my pension. I've got, but do they want the headache? That's the part. No, they don't want the headache. But unfortunately, circumstances are such that it makes you want to do that. So I don't think buy to let's going to go anywhere. Um, and I think buy to rent will continue to blossom. At the beginning, it will be corporations. Later on, it may be collectives. So a bit of a, a, bit of a cooperative situation where, you know, maybe four or five or ten people plough X, Y, Z money into, into a pot um, and, um, and then decide that, you know, that's what they want to do. So there's, there's, you know, there's other areas that will happen. But I think, I think none of it's going to go away because property is still the safest. Yeah, we're talking about buy to rents. That's things like student accommodation. You see them popping up all over the place at the moment. Student accommodation, blocks of rental flats, um, these big developments typically that you see. Um, these are the things that we're talking about with build to rent. Um, the sector over the next decade is projected to increase fivefold to reach 380,000 by 2032, uh, worth an estimated 170 billion pounds, according to recent research from British Property Federation and Savills. Um, there's different ways you can get into it, apparently. Um, for example, debt investment channels are the most obvious way to do that. So looking for, for the opportunity to invest um, alongside other people, of course. So you've not, you're not responsible for the whole project. You're just investing in a project which someone else is going to run. Um, um, and that, that can help people. Of course, the tax implications of that are a lot simpler. So if you were... Um, uh, not too familiar with the tax situation, maybe a pensioner that's not particularly worried about or not wanting to worry about having to put in some kind of tax return, for example, then this might be something that's a little bit simpler, perhaps. But they're keen to suggest that you shouldn't, as you've said, Joe, to dismiss buy to let, as some have been quick to do. It undoubtedly still appeals to many for many reasons which you've highlighted, but others, indeed, for the mass market of retail and affluent investors, the booming BTR market and the rise of fractional investment models powered by fintech platforms are creating a wealth of exciting new opportunities. So definitely something to, to, to keep an eye on, to look for, uh, look into the future, as you've suggested. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's got it's got legs, as they say. It's, something will happen with it, but you can't take away the fact that, you know, the 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 subject about property is owning it, looking at it, touching it, feeling it, seeing it, walking through that front door, putting your head around and saying, yeah, this is mine, this is, this is something I, I, you know, I've built. That you can't take away. That is, a, that is a, a British feeling. That is a homeowner's feeling. That is what we've always been brought up on. So whether it's your first home or whether it's your buy to let, it is about something that you can touch, feel and see, put the key through the key door and go, that's mine. That is never going to go away. That is part of our DNA. Now, the way to develop some other things is to look at the buy to rent market. And I think that could have some legs, especially with SIP opportunities. Not that I'm a, a financial advisor, but there are lots of people that have pension pots that are not, not doing what they want them to do. And they could probably invest into a portfolio. I know that a lot of the larger corporations have been sort of murmuring in the background that they too are looking at the buy to rent market. 
um, you know, when they've got space on their own stores, big, big stores, big retail uh, food stores have lots of space on their sites where they're now thinking about building blocks above the shop, so to speak, and then rent them out before they might have sold the site on. Now they're thinking, well, hang on a minute, if we actually buy to build them and then rent them out, we have ready-made shoppers coming downstairs to shop, you know, because we've rented up 200, 200 flats above. So there's a, there's a whole new way of, of dealing with that and, and that's definitely coming. And I think it's going to be creative all the time. But, you know, that's what property matters here. We will continue to show the way. Indeed, we will. And uh, we will be showing the way in person this uh, <laughs> this very week. Actually, tomorrow, on Monday, we will be at the Queen Elizabeth uh, II Hall in Westminster, where we will be at the Asian Jewish Business Network. What we're going to be doing is doing a live show um, uh, from there around about 11 o'clock in the morning. And we're going to do a show uh, to uh, promote the event and talk to property specialists who are talking at that event. And also we're going to be recording some interviews with uh, various property professionals there, which we can then come and share with you on a Sunday morning, i.e. next week. So uh, we're looking forward to it very much, aren't we, Joe? And uh, a bit of a first for us both. Very exciting, really. I mean, we, we've, we've dabbled at it, not quite got it right, but we're actually having our studios there directly at uh, the Asian, uh, British Asian Jewish Business Network. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, looking forward to seeing a lot of property views. Um, it will make a nice change for all of our viewers and listeners to have not me just gabbling on week in, week out, and uh, hopefully we'll get, get some more interesting people uh, coming along and giving their views and perhaps maybe endorsing some of the things I've been saying. But uh, a really exciting time for, for Property Matters. Uh, now two years old and over 100 episodes, um, and of course on, um, on uh, podcast and every other way that we can promote it. Thank you to all our listeners and viewers that have supported us do that. Um, and um, I think it's a really exciting opportunity and we hope that you will join us in that journey. Just looking on the, their website at the moment, uh, they've uh, re released this week, of course, that uh, the guest speaker will be Savid Javid, who's going to be interviewed at 10.30 by Alex Brummer, city editor of the Daily Mail. So he's going to be talking about... Uh, some very interesting subjects, I suspect, given the last couple of months. Uh, there's also a conversation about trade relationships between India, the UK, Israel and Gulf. And uh, uh, an area that we're very interested in at half past one, they're talking about in the current world, what is the best way to invest your money in property? And they've got some, uh, some interesting guests on that panel there, who we hope to be talking to and to bring some of those interviews uh, for next Sunday on Property Matters. So uh, if you're able to get to the uh, Asian Jewish Business Network tomorrow, Monday, it's on from uh, 10 o'clock until three in the afternoon. We look forward to seeing you there if you're able to join us. Uh, if not, join us next Sunday when we'll have some exclusive interviews with some of the stars of the show from this coming week. So thank you very much indeed for watching. Thank you, Joe, for all your wisdom as always. We'll see you again next week if we don't see you tomorrow Monday at the Asian Jewish Business Network. Music